0: Sunday, everyone. I am your host Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and welcome to episode 16 of the Spectrum Lounge, where we discuss creatives of color changing the game in TV, pop film, and pop culture. On this episode, we will be chatting with writer and producer Shannon M. Houston, who is critically um, who is on the uh, critically acclaimed Hulu Hulu original series Little Fires Everywhere, starring Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon. Welcome, Shannon.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. So excited <laughs> to talk with you today. Me too, girl.
0: This show—it's <laughs> I a mean, number one. Congratulations, because Shannon was actually my very second guest um, on uh, when I first started the Spectrum Lounge. So I'll I'll put the link in. Yes. Um, we're on. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so we had a great discussion. So I remember back when we spoke in April of 2018, um, you had just uh, wrapped up work. Uh, we talked about the Looming Tower. Mm-hmm. Um and then you were also working on Lovecraft Country which is an upcoming HBO series Um, that is executive produced by Jordan Peele and the showrunner is Misha Green who you might remember from my one of my favorite shows Underground um, and so yeah a lot has happened in two years <laughs> <Shannon>. <laughs> tell it's, us like yeah
1: <laughs> it's so funny because you said 2018 and I'm like god that was like a lifetime ago that was like Three lifetimes ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I remember I was on Lovecraft Country. I think I was sort of in the middle of that writer's room and having like an amazing time. And then after Lovecraft, um, I heard about Little Fires Everywhere. And mm-hmm. it was such a very unique experience where somebody's describing a story to you and it kind of, Checks off all these marks where it's like, okay, it's set in Shaker Heights, which is right around the corner from Cleveland, where I graduated from high school. Uh, there's an adoption storyline. I'm adopted. There's uh, a lot of mother daughter stuff happening. I've got all the mother daughter issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> and of course, you know, you have Carrie Washington uh, playing this black female artist who's coming into town and shaking shit up. And I'm just like, yes, sign me up, please. Um, (laughs) So it's been, it was, it was really exciting and um, really great falling in love with the book. And then of course, you know, diving in to the show was exciting. And also of course, really challenging because there's a lot that changed in the casting and Mm -hmm. there's a, a lot that we wanted to keep true to the, Book and a lot that we wanted to kind of bring out that wasn't quite there in the book. Um, so it's been great watching everybody respond to to what we did for better or worse.
0: Right. So I know that. The, so like you said, the this series is actually an adaptation um, of a best-selling novel by Is it Celeste Ng? Right. Yes. Yes, Celeste Ng, "Little Fires Everywhere." Uh, of interest, uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong, um, because I know. With we have Carrie and uh Reese, was that what was Carrie's uh character originally black in the novel, or was that no. something that they did? Okay,
1: yeah, that was a change that they made. I think uh Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine, first had the right to the book and uh, made the introduction to Carrie, and then that's how we ended up with Mia being black, and you know, obviously that changes a lot. Uh, for a book that's about this artist who comes into town and works initially is working um, in this other woman's home, and so all of there were all these things that we had to really start thinking about and taking into consideration um, with the with that with that change. And I think we were successful, but I, you know I leave that up to the viewers to decide.
0: Um, well, I'll have to say now. I- I think by adding that layer, that dynamic, because I think I've been telling everybody to watch this show. I was just telling my sister the other day um, and I, I actually watched it last week. I caught up to all the episodes last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me tell you something. <laughs> I honestly have not seen anything like this on television a very long while, particularly when we're talking about uh women centered stories right mm-hmm. and you know we we talk about feminism and i what i love about little fires everywhere is that there's this tension of like uh race class and gender right mm-hmm. so in within one scene you can kind of see all three of them at play mm-hmm. um and i love that it kind of subverts a lot of these tropes between the relationships between black and white women because i do believe like while uh, there are a lot of female centric shows that are diverse, it does seem to me that sometimes they whitewash that, like for some reason there isn't, like if you see a black woman and a white woman who are friends, like there are barely any conversations about race and class between them. It's right. sort of like, oh, we're all just women. We're all women and we're all oppressed and, you know, we need to right. fight together. And it's like, our, our stories are a little bit different. And and I love oh, yeah. that. Little yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think the reason for that is because it's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to have a lot of uncomfortable and unpleasant conversations in the writer's room to get to those scenes that you're talking about. So I think, um, and this is just true of American politics, like it's, it's so much more fun to just pretend that certain things are not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much more fun to be colorblind. Or to Mm -hmm. say that you are. And uh, we had to address that, not just because of the casting with Carrie, but also because of where the story takes place. Shaker Heights was sort of like this emblem of quote-unquote colorblind society in America. Mm -hmm. And that was exciting for me because I was like, ooh, like this is one of those things where the actual location of the show is also a character. And so we used the history, this very strange, complicated, interesting history of Shaker Heights, um, to help to help tell this story of the relationship between Mia and Elena.
0: Right. So, was was the show actually shot in Shaker Heights, or was there no. a different location?
1: Okay. Yeah, we we they used other locations. I wasn't on set a lot. I was on set for some of um, the scenes for my episode which were shot out here in L.A. Um, I don't know where they like the Richardson home. I can't remember right now where they shot that. Uh, But I know that that the showrunner and the producers like right at the beginning of shooting did take a trip to Shaker Heights just to like get the feel of the place and get an understanding of what it might be like to live there.
0: Oh, excellent. Excellent. Um, So can you tell us, I think one of the things that made me so excited about Little Fires Everywhere, besides the casting, um, I think, because we follow each other on Instagram, I remember you posted a picture of the writer's room. Mm-hmm. Uh, little fires, and it was. I was so happy to see. Like number one, it was so many women, and yes. so many women of different races, which is yes. which was great. Like I saw black women, I saw white women, I saw Asian women. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the dynamic in in the writers' room?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, and I think Liz Tigelaar knew going into it that she was going to need a variety of voices. Liz is the showrunner, and she really fought to have a lot of people in that room and a lot of different perspectives. And I think um, what it did is it gives proper voice to characters like Mia, to characters like Bebe. Um, I think that we, we were all able to speak to very specific experiences. And I think the other thing that happened is there's always that crossover. Like at, uh, when we were working on the storyline between Lexi and Pearl, uh, it came up in the room. I don't remember exactly how, but we were all talking about how at some point in our time in school, somebody sat us down, somebody in a position of authority sat us down and told us that we were not going to get into that college, that we needed to take easier courses. And this was true for all of the women of color in the room that we'd had we'd had something like that happen. I think it's um I forget which episode it is, but it's the scene where uh Pearl goes to ask to be in a uh like more advanced math course and the right. counselor tells her no. And that came from all of our um all of our experiences with that. So there was a lot of like that crossover. <clears throat> and I think um Another way that I think the room was interesting and, and diverse is the the ways that we were all brought up. Like our, All of us having strange, interesting, complicated relationships to our parents and our mm-hmm. mothers. And then a few of us being adopted and having those r- strange relationships with a biological mother and an adoptive mother and being able to bring... Like have some really intense, awkward, uncomfortable, strange, beautiful conversations about like what that experience is like, and and I think this big question of um what is a mother, what is a good mother, which is constantly circling around this series, but you can't really answer that question without talking about um how does a wealthy white woman define good motherhood, how does Mm. an artistic black woman who travels around the country define good motherhood and they're both wrong in a lot of ways. Um, but I think you can't get into those conversations, uh, if you're, if, if the room is made up of, um, all white women or all well-to-do white women, you know? So I, Mm -hmm. I do think that the reason that people are responding is because we, we had all those people in the room and all those experiences to pull from.
0: Right. Yeah. No, you definitely see that. I, what's, what's so fascinating to me is, and um, you hit on it is Mia and, Um, uh, Reese's character, uh, so Elena. uh, Elena. What's so interesting about both of them is that, (laughs) besides the conflict that they have for you know a variety of reasons, um, is that each of their daughters seem to gravitate to the other, right? So you have Pearl who feels like you know this sort of like this this lifestyle of moving from town to town which we realized the reason why, you know, Mia is doing this because she has the secret, right. right. That, um, that Pearl was actually a baby that she was carrying for another couple. Mm-hmm. She was a surrogate mother. And then she, she decides to take uh, Pearl and is basically on the run. Um, and then what's interesting is kind of seeing Pearl gravitating more to Elena's more traditional, right. Yes. Um, mode of parenting. And then meanwhile, you have Izzy who's sort of like the rebel, of the Richardson family is more gravitate is gravitating more towards Mia, you know, yes. for not only the artistic, but also the fact that she's queer, although she doesn't find out that, you know, Mia is queer until later into the show. Yeah. So I thought it was so interesting to have that dynamic where you had this white girl who feels uh, more drawn to this, you know, more motherly or what she finds is a more perfect definition of motherhood for her. And then Pearl is attracted to this, white woman this wealthier white woman who has these more traditional um you know making lunches in the morning and she kind of mm-hmm. advocates for, for so i just thought that that was just really interesting but what i what i especially love too is that even in that dynamic with mia and izzy um mia is very clear and that's what i love about her character is that when these white characters cross the line she's very quick to call them out on that yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And th- I, I just love that. And I was like, see, this is how I know that there are black women in the writer's room. Because <laughs> there are certain scenes where I'm like, yeah, if it was an all-white writer's room, I could see how that scene could kind of go. But you always see Ma- Mia retain her autonomy, which I think is which is so great. Um, I think there was that scene, uh, it was this week's episode, episode seven, where uh I think uh Izzy out of She thought she was doing something. She had good intentions, but then she brings those Cabbage Patch dolls and she puts pictures of like black people and Asian people and sort of like this display is how yeah. much your baby is worth. And so the white babies are worth like $10,000 or something like that. And yeah. it's like the the babies of color cost, cost less. And so she's sitting there all righteous, like, oh, I'm making a statement. And yet like the students of color are like, this is really fucked up. Like this is yeah. racist. And she doesn't see that. And I love how Mia um, sits her down and kind of explains to her not only why that it's offensive, but I also love the fact that, yes, while they are two queer women, they still have very different experiences. While Izzy is um, a lesbian or queer, she is still a privileged white woman. You know, Yeah. I mean? Yeah. Which I thought was very fascinating.
1: Yeah. I love that scene. And I was afraid. About that scene. I was, I was, I were, and I've had, I had so many moments like that in the room. I mean, even just the idea of telling a story about a little black girl becoming enamored with a white family terrified me. Mm, Cause I just thought, how the fuck are we gonna pull that off in Mm -hmm. a way that doesn't feel troubling, offensive, um, self-hating. And I do think that, You can still read it that way. And I welcome any critique that says that we did not succeed. However, I do think that what you see is that she's craving that stability. She's craving the Elena type mom who's making the pancakes with your initials, you know. And not Mm -hmm. because her mom is so awful, but I think because she's aware that there are things she doesn't know. And those things are kind of... um, impacting their relationship so uh, so the we're i feel like the show kind of walks on shaky ground at Mm -hmm. all times because of because we're juggling race gender mommy issues class issues all of those things but in that scene between um mia and izzy i feel like we kind of nailed what we're trying to do here um izzy Mm -hmm loves Mia. Izzy has created an art project that she's kind of hoping at least Mia will like her mentor. And Mia isn't saying, you fucked up, the project is awful. She's saying, interesting idea, but I can also see where you did not think at all about the impact of a wealthy white girl um, creating this display. And the display is accurate, and it came from um, this thing that we were talking about that has always haunted me. It was an NPR story, and I think it was the the title of the story was "Black Babies Cost Less to Adopt Than White Babies," and oh, it was about the very strange, um, complicated uh, history of adoption in America. And what does that mean when? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cheaper to get a black baby than it is to get a white baby. And so that's kind of, That's you know where she's the point she's trying to make is interesting, but Mia's reminding her of who she is. And, and I think the other thing I really was hoping people would take away from that scene is you watch the show and you're always thinking that Izzy is different from the rest of her family because she obviously is. And at the same time, she is a wealthy, privileged white kid growing up in a big-ass home and shaker. So she can put on, you know, her funky clothes and she can make her crazy art and she can develop a relationship with Mia, but that does not change everything about who she is. And that's a... I think that's something that a lot of white people never want to have to think about. Um, Mm -hmm. They want to, to... to believe that they are the exception. And I think Mia is saying you don't get to just say that you're the exception because you feel like being the exception.
0: Right. Right. Um, The other conversation that <laughs> that's been really interesting on Twitter for people who live tweet little fires everywhere um, in this, you know, has been the relationship between Elena's oldest daughter, Lexi, um, mm-hmm. and her black boyfriend, <laughs> yeah. Brian. And Brian and Lexi have been like such a conundrum for me. Like, it's, it's so frustrating because number one, the actors are amazing. The actors who play Lexi and Brian are yeah. amazing. And the other thing is that with Brian, it's like, Oh, Brian, like he's so, like, po- he can be so politically conscious and aware, right? Like when he talks yeah. about race, he talks it in a very intelligent way. But then it's like, yeah, but your girlfriend is like this low key racist. You yeah. know, person. And it's like, how do you reconcile? But then, you know, I, I was having this conversation on Twitter with other people was that Brian is actually like a representation of certain black men that we know, right? That oh, yeah. are like very like woke and politi- politically conscious, but yet um, their choices. And let me be clear. It's not being an interracial relationship that makes it problematic. But the fact that you have a partner of another race, right. Who is either white or non-black who has very racist views. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, it was a football player. Um, and he had a white girlfriend, um, who he had proposed to. And then there were old tweets of hers, right. That came out where she was saying like really racist and anti-black statements. And yes. even when these things came out, he stayed engaged to her like he had no problem with it and so this is something that we've been seeing like what was the conversation as far as like setting up that lexi bryant dynamic in the writer's room
1: yeah it was it was tough i remember thinking uh and we talked about why the fuck is he still with her after you know the stolen essay thing why would yes he stay with her and in a very simple way i think we we had to remember He's a kid and he wants to have sex with his girlfriend. There's that. There's that like very basic element of like he's 17, 18 years old. They haven't had sex yet. So, and you know, in the, I think it's in episode three, that is literally what she does to get him off of the Pearl essay. She's like, okay, never mind. We're not waiting. We can do it now. Um, so I think part of it is understanding when you're a teenager you are generally not making your best choices <laughs> as far as relationships <laughs> go. Um, right. And then there's this thing that you're talking about, this very real thing of um, Black men um, dating outside of their race. And and it's, it's I think people have said before something to the effect of, uh, there's a meme I've seen, date who you want, but shut the fuck up about Black women. Like there's always this... <laughs> um okay do what you want but why does it have to be also an attack against us and that's what brian is struggling with like do i continue to date this person i think the idea is that throughout their whole relationship he's never seen this side of lexi quite to this degree he's gone to her house her mother has referenced marching Uh, With Martin Luther King, he's left the house and kind of forgotten about it. And probably like, it's easier for him to not think about Lexi being that type of person. And then Pearl shows up and Lexi does these egregious things, one of which she doesn't even tell him about, but the essay thing, now he's starting to notice, wait, I always thought her mom was kind of fucked up but Lexi is doing it too. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what happens in the Burger King lot or whatever, like the burger lot that they're at in the last episode, I'm sure that wasn't the first time Lexi made a comment like that. Mm. That Because of everything that's happened um, and even, you know, the story with the McCulloughs and BB, even that happening kind of in the background of their relationship Right. I think there's a brief scene where she very adamantly says that that child does not belong to BB. And I, and Brian says just a little something of like, well, that is her biological mom and she is an immigrant, you know, like you get a little taste of his views there, but I think everything compounded is what leads to the final breakup in seven um so and some people did miss that he does break up with her yes Uh, (laughs) but yes it takes him it takes him the whole season and it's more like you said it's more than we've seen other black men do in their relationships (laughs) so (laughs) i'm very proud of brian right now yay
0: brian you know what (laughs) was interesting what was interesting was like i tweeted this there were a lot of people who who kind of expressed their frustration with Brian, right? Um, and then <laughs> I woke up the next morning and then I had like, I don't know who he, I don't know if it was a bot or he the, the Avi looked like a black man. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, this is propaganda from the white owned media because, you know, Brian is just trying to, you know, turn black women against us. And I was just like, uh, no. (laughs) And then he was like, and then he went on a rant in my timeline. He was like, oh, but like, why aren't you commenting on, um, Pearl and trip? Like, you know, when it's, when it's black men with white women, it's a problem when it's white, when it's black women or black girls with, you know, white men, then it's not a problem. And I'm like, it's problematic all around, like the Pearl and trip Relationship, I will say, it does seem that Trip does seem to have feelings for her, but it's a very complicated. It's it's messy, right? Because the younger brother Moody is the one who who met Pearl first, and he clearly liked Pearl, but then Pearl goes for you know the prettier, you know jock boy, right? There's yeah. some stuff attached with that, and I was like, that's an equally messy and problematic relationship too. I mean, you yes, know, but in a very yeah.
1: different way. Like if we had yeah. had a scene where Trip told Pearl that she was the prettiest black girl he'd ever seen, then that would be an issue. Like we would be up in arms over that relationship. But what's happening with Lexi and Brian, it's very specific to race and how Lexi sees this black girl as disposable. Um, Mm -hmm. And with the other interracial relationship, it's troubling because it's a secret and it's, two brothers and mm-hmm. they're in Moody's ice cream truck, which infuriates me to this day. Um, oh, but that's it's, where it's, they are. Oh, They're wow. in Moody's truck. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, I think we've, we have uh, established that all of the relationships are troubling and problematic to some degree, but yes, Lexi and Brian are specifically dealing with this question of, race and and privilege and like mm-hmm. him him seeing lexi for who she really is for the first time
0: right yeah and the other thing that i see too is like as far as uh when moody starts to suspect that something's a little off because i think uh pearl blows him off one day by saying that she has a meeting with like yes some sort of black student union yeah to find out that that's not true that she's actually with trip and so Moody, to me, is what's problematic about Moody's uh, behavior. I mean, yes, it is bad that his older brother's name is, but it's almost like this ownership. It's almost like that. Well, I'm the nice guy and you should be going for me, which is problematic in its own way. Yeah. Because we see that too, where there's a with certain men, there's this ownership they have. Um, it's like this performative, like, well, I, I, I'm a nice guy. So s- since I'm nice, you should be with me. You shouldn't be with that guy, you know? And as we've seen in real time, that can lead to violence, right? And, yeah. and just all sorts of problematic behavior with that. So yeah, that's, um, that's equally messy. yeah
1: absolutely
0: yeah so what can what can we expect in the the season family so season eight is uh this week is is the last episode right yes um oh but before that i wanted to talk to you about your episode the episode that your episode sex uh, episode six Mm -hmm. which is uh titled the uncanny and it's basically a flashback to mia and pearl uh i'm sorry mia and elena when they are both in their 20s Mm -hmm. um and it kind of shows you why they are the people that they are. And I have to say that that is actually my favorite episode. Um, and, so I, and so I just wanted to, um, how did you come about with writing? Was that from the book or was that something that you created yourself? Or
1: So Mia's storyline was in the book. There is a flashback to um, her childhood, her early days, and then her going to school and um, developing this relationship. That's not romantic in the book but she develops this really strong connection with her professor and then makes this very interesting choice to become a surrogate. So that was all there. And, you know, of course, we we did some tweaking. I mean, the major change that we made being that she does have a romantic uh, relationship with Pauline. But uh, Lena's story, we had to make up on our own. And we would always talk about how, in the book, she is this character who has four kids, back to back, but is in complete control. She has the calendar, she measures the wine. And <laughs> what we started asking ourselves was, who really does this? Who, mm-hmm. Who is this person and are you born this way? No, something happened. And what we decided was something happened where she lost control. And she decided, I'm never going back to that again. I'm never going to allow myself to become the kind of person who breaks dishes, runs to CVS for a pacifier, and ends up in Rochester with her ex. Like, <laughs> she unraveled in that, in that time period. And what she did to make sure that never happened again is she created a system that works for, for her, What's happening Mm. over the course of the series is somebody shows up in town and the way she feels is they're ruining her system. She has Ah. a perfect system. She's got everything under control. And all of a sudden Mia comes into town and she's feeling white guilt for the first time. She's being challenged. Her friend is about to lose her baby. So she's feeling that very familiar unraveling that she hasn't felt since. Izzy was born. Um, and we also wanted to explain the relationship between Elena and Izzy. Why is this child such a trigger for her? What could this child have ever done to her? And then we get to see, you know, me, Izzy didn't do anything but be born, but Elena couldn't handle it and Elena wasn't ready for it. And the other thing we tried to say is Elena did not want a fourth child, mm. um, but she felt like she did not have a choice and so she carried that child and gave birth to that child and I I think when you when you're already dreading something Mm -hmm. it's very easy for that thing to become all the things you were afraid of and that's kind of what's happening with Izzy so 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 we came up with with most of that and then Mia's story we took from the book and made um, and made the changes that we made. And, um, it's a lot packed into one episode. I still wish we could have had 10 episodes. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. that could have been two separate episodes, but, um, but yeah, that's how we did that.
0: Yeah. No, I loved, um, I loved, uh, 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 Mia's flashback because number one, it was '80s New York, so yeah. that was great. And I was and I was like, this is definitely New York because you know sometimes there are so shows that will try to double like Toronto for New York, and you are like, yeah. No. And I was like, <laughs> no, this is New York City. <laughs> and um, but yeah, that love affair between Mia and her professor, um, played by Anika Noni Rose, she was amazing <laughs> in that role. And yeah, uh, everybody was talking about Tiffany Boone, like. Can we yeah. talk about Tiffany Boone for a second? Because I was just like, I have never seen anything like that before. Like she had Carrie's mannerisms down. Co- and it was, it was, it wasn't like a, I don't want to say it was like a mockery. It was, or an imitation It was really the spirit of Carrie. Like if you imag- imagined a younger yeah. Mia, like the way she would hold her head and the yeah. way her eyes would get all wide. I was like,
1: wow. It was so perfect. <laughs> And it was so perfect that the episode was already titled the uncanny because mm-hmm. thats the feeling that you have looking at her and I know she did a great job because when I was watching episode seven I looked at Carrie Washington and I thought for a second it was Tiffany wow. um like that strange thing of like I remember when I first saw the movie Malcolm X mm-hmm. and I would see pictures of the real Malcolm X and I would C- still see Denzel playing Malcolm X, like yes. that feeling of mixing up the actual actors and the actual people. That's how I felt when I saw Seven, and I when I saw Six, I was like, "This is like insane how mm. great Tiffany is." But then when I saw Seven, and for like half a second, thought I was watching Tiffany again. I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit, she really did it." um But yeah, like terrifyingly great, and I'm really excited to see her do anything she wants to do now yeah and it
0: was and it was so special especially because it was this episode was written by a black woman and it was also directed Mm -hmm. uh by nazinga stewart who's a fave of mine and so it's just like this is what happens when you let black women tell their stories like that is so like i think about this show and then i also think about Um, Watchmen right like um, the the, uh, the showrunner for for Watchmen he said this repeatedly he was like I walked into that writer's room with like so many ideas even as a well meaning progressive white man but he was just like I just let the black writers like we would have these you know I would come in with these stories and they'd be like oh no this is a shitty idea let's not do that (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and um, so as as far as you being, because I know it's you, Ad- Attica Locke, and mm-hmm. I believe there's another Black woman on on Ramla, the writing. Ramla,
1: Ramla Muhammad, right. So, and did our you guys... writers, uh, I should say, our writers assistant was is also a Black woman, katherine Kearns.
0: Oh, amazing! Yeah. So, so did you guys ever feel like? So, did it ever feel collaborative? Because I know there's been stories where some black writers kind of feel like they're the token in the room and they feel like they're the race police. Did you guys, did you Attica and Rama ever feel that way? Or did you guys ever feel like, okay, we have this safe space where we can say what we feel.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's always a balance. Like I, I don't think. I don't think I ever feel a 100% my authentic self in any job. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's still a job. I can only get so buck wild. I'll do what I can. I'll <laughs> say what really helped, what I was excited about was um, between myself, Ramla, and Attica, anything that I said, and we of course we didn't agree all of the time, um, but I didn't feel like that thing in the back of your brain where you're like, these white people are going to go home and be like, Shannon's crazy. Black women are crazy. They mm-hmm. can't say that. Because there's two other black women, Um, there's also the the third black woman, the writer's assistant. Like I'm not the only one, so I'm gonna sound like I'm crazy, but not crazy for a black woman, just crazy Shannon, Um, when I say certain things. Mm. Uh, You know, like I, I I was really grateful for that, and and there were definitely things like um, like some major moments where we. Had to be like there's not a black mother in the world who's gonna X Y and Z, you know. Like mm-hmm. uh, there's the episode, that, you know, that sh- that scene where Mia comes driving over to the Richardson house in the rain, screaming at Pearl to get in the car. That yeah. scene didn't exist right away. There was uh con- there was conversation about like wanting Pearl to spend the night because we had these ideas for like, all sorts of interesting things that could happen if she spent the night in the Richardson house. Um, And it was Attica who really, like, laid the line down and was like, there is no way that Mia would not go get her. It just, it cannot happen that way. And so that's how you got that scene. Um, So, and there were things like that where we, you know, and I don't mind being the race police, if that's the word for it. Like, I Mm -hmm. have no problem being like yeah no we I don't want to do that that's terrible right um I don't want Izzy to do a cool art project that's technically blackface and Mia doesn't call her on it like that's I I don't mind doing that I think I think the problem comes where people feel people are feel like they're doing that job and then they're still not being heard and that isn't of course um sorry was that my phone um of course that's uh, that's an issue in a lot of writers' rooms, and you and you know when it's not your show, that's the other thing. It's not your right. show, so um, there there are still things that I'm like, who I can't believe Mia got <laughs> cussed out. <laughs> Carl cussed her out and lived. That that makes me deeply uncomfortable, but I, really? I do think we got away with it because of all of the drama that was packed into seven. You're like. Yeah, I guess, I guess she would, um she would probably lose her shit right there. Uh, but yeah. yeah, but, but it it's, it's a strange, it's a strange, complicated job uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'll be honest, like there are times when I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to, I don't right now want to be the race police. I, yeah. you know, uh, luckily we had a million other things to talk about in the room. We still had all the, the motherhood stuff, all the relationship stuff um like so many other things going on that that wasn't always the topic of conversation
0: um yeah no it's really good because uh, and and you bring up an a, a very important part because you know there's been this discussion over the last few years with the rise of more content from black creatives like what is authentically black when we watch a movie or a television series right and we say um, you know, that show is like blackity black or that character is like an authentic portrayal of a black person or what a black mm-hmm. person would do, right? Because I remember last year, what's interesting, um, what you said about, you know, Mia's parenting style as a black mm-hmm. mother on the show, I remember there was a similar conversation when Euphoria came out last year, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was an episode where um, Zendaya's character basically went off on her mom who's a black woman and right. the conversation was like well a black mother a real black mother would never do that like like black mamas don't do this and black mamas right. don't do that and i'm kind of like i don't know, I, i'd love to hear your thoughts because for me i'm just like i think we have to open up the space to show different types of black mothering right like yeah. i i do fi- i do think that there is a baseline that certain black mamas do have are on consensus with. They're like, yeah, there's certain things that we won't let happen. But I also feel that for dramatic reasons, you got to let some shit fly, you know what I mean? Because then you won't get those kind of confrontations. You can't get those type of, and not every black mother is traditional, right? Like, and I think that's the one thing I love about me is that she represents a different type of black motherhood. So I just wanted to hear your, like what your thoughts are as far as like this, this idea of what authentic blackness means and on film and TV.
1: Yeah, that's a heavy question. I mean, it's, it's hard because, because like you said, there isn't one thing that is absolutely true across the board about black mothers. But, um, even as I hear myself say that I roll my eyes in my head because I'm like, I literally don't know a black mother living who's been like cussed out by her child. And like, you know what I'm <laughs> like, there are certain, the story. <laughs> there's just certain things where you're like, no, like, right. no. Um, But I also think just using the euphoria example, Mm -hmm. it's, it becomes an issue to me when you have black characters and like, they're already sort of immersed in, in a lot of white stuff. So if you have a black character and that black character has like in euphoria, her dad is white, her mom is black. her love interest is white. She's the other, there's a lot of other white characters um, sprinkled around. Her mom is also dating a white guy, I think, at a certain point, like a new guy. Yes. It, so I feel like when you have a lot of that, it then highlights a scene like that where you're like, look, there's already a lot of white stuff happening on this great show, which I loved. Mm-hmm. But there's already a lot of that going on and then you have the black girl cussing out her mom. And I think that's what kind of tips you over. I still don't know if we got away with it on Little Fires, but I think one thing that helps is you, like Mia is is black and Mia is like uncomfortably black. Meaning (laughs) those looks that she gives to Elena make you squirm. When she says what she says to Lexi, uh, in that, in the scene after the abortion, it makes yes. you squirm. So I think we, like, there are ways that you have to buy, quote unquote, buy those, those, car- those moments that are, that don't feel authentically black. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of being specific to euphoria, but then there is this bigger question of like, like, um, what is a black show? Does it just have, now, now we've had en- enough Black shows where we have Black characters and and Black children, um, Is it st- does it still feel like a Black show if everybody is, is rich? And that's something I've been asking for a long time. Mm. Um, when I was a TV critic, I felt very strongly about that. I was starting to see more and more stories about Black people, but they were all wealthy, and that bothered me. Um, because I don't think you can keep telling stories about black people in America that are authentic if everybody's a lawyer and if everybody's a doctor. Mm. Um, I love those stories, but when that's the bulk of, of the stories you're seeing, that's a problem. Um, can you, know, it's the, it's a similar thing with interracial relationships where I don't think people would feel troubled by them if they weren't everywhere. If every single black character on TV doesn't somehow at some point end up with a, with a white person. I think somebody on on Twitter the other day was saying that it's happening with a lot of the queer relationships too, where yes. yes, you got you guys are giving us diversity, you guys are giving us a black character, you guys are giving us a queer black character, but you sure are making a point to make sure that that black character is, is in an interracial relationship with a white person. They're not mm-hmm. ever in an interracial relationship with another person of color. That's troubling. So I just think... Um, I think keep keep we keep interrogating that, and we keep saying like, okay, now you guys have figured out um, that you can call a show black by just having a lot of black characters, but but the audience is going to tell you this doesn't feel like any black people I know, and I think <laughs> that's a totally fair critique. Um, yeah. This doesn't sound like like nobody's talking like this, so. Mm-hmm why are are these characters talking like this so yeah. I'm glad that people are um more and more being like oh oh what we're figuring out is representation isn't enough that's if, very if true. by representation you just mean like a a black person that's not enough we need to know we need more
0: right and you being a, a former uh tv and film critic yourself that's the other conversation that's been going on um You know, there's a new certain Netflix series show, um, you know, uh, Black as Fuck. And there is an episode in episode five where, uh, you know, the Kenya Barris character questions the relationship between critics. And black creatives, right? And so there's a, this, there's no spoilers here. There was, it was in the trailer, mm-hmm. but they, they, uh, Tyler Perry makes a cameo or, or guest stars and basically has a, a conversation with Kenya where he's just like, I really don't care what critics think. I don't, you know, he was like, I make my art to, you know, to, to, uh, cater to a certain demographic. I know who, I know who my niche audience is and I make those shows for them, right? And so. Right you know, so then there's the other question. Now, we we fought the battle for representation, even as we being as black women critics, we fought that representation. And now I feel like it, it, it isn't, it isn't finished yet because now it's like, okay, we have more representation, but then we still have to critique these pieces of black art, Absolutely. right? Whether it's, it's a TV show or a movie, because then the, the debate is, should we just kind of support it and just be happy that it's like a black movie? Or are, are we allowed to do, do we have that space as, as black critics to actually be able to critique the art and not look like haters? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And we have
1: to make that space. And I felt that plenty um, when I was writing full time as a critic. Like, do I drag the fuck out of this show that I don't like that I think is problematic? Yeah. Um, but I think, like, one thing that we have to part of the answer to that question, in my opinion, is dragging something does not is not the same thing as being a hater. Um, mm. It's not the same thing as. Uh, not being supportive. In fact, as any critic will tell you, if I'm dragging it, I gave a fuck enough about it to drag the thing. I could have <laughs> said nothing. Right. Really? The the dragging is actually coming from a a place of wanting more, um, mm-hmm. caring a lot about about a thing. So, um, I, and I think for the creatives, they don't they don't have to listen. Um, Tyler Perry can make whatever he wants to make. I think that part of what what people um, what people are fighting back against is the idea that we have to sit back and go, well, there's plenty of quote unquote black content, and now uh, that their diversity has won, and the Oscars aren't so white, and so now you sit back and you celebrate the fact that racism is over. No, we don't, because it's not, um, right. and it's not enough, and we keep fighting. So I so. I love it, and I love seeing that now there is more um, "quote unquote" black content that the cr- the critics are starting to feel like, hold the fuck up, like we we have to say something. Like some of this stuff we we can't let we can't let fly, and we can't pretend that it's good just because we want to support our people. Um, there was a show that I really did not like watching. I would literally turn it on and put it on mute because mm-hmm. I wanted it to get the views. Wow, <laughs> this was years ago. But yes, I was yes. like, Oh, God, they're not going to make any more black shows. If people don't watch this show. I don't want to watch this show. But let me turn it on and put it on mute. Um, and it's such a strange thing to do in a strange position to be in. But I'm like, you can do something like that. And then go on Twitter and drag the thing or write your essay, you know, dragging the thing. And I, and when I say drag, I really mean like criticizing, um, problematizing a thing that where you see the problems. And I, I don't, I, I don't believe, of course, I don't believe this as a, as a critic, but um, I don't believe that the art is that the art and the criticism are opposing things. They are supposed mm-hmm. to be in dialogue with each other. Whether the creatives admit it or not, they are reading those things. They are thinking about those things that people are writing, and they may not implement anything. They may not change anything. They may dig their heels deeper. But I do think it is definitely the job of the critics to push um, to, to push the art forward, and or not you know f- forward, but in any direction. Um, and, and so, so, yeah, I think that more and more people are ready to do that again, partly because we are, uh, the representation is quote is there. And I don't mean there in the way that like, that's enough. We have enough black things. We don't. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is more than there was five years ago. And Mm -hmm. I think that definitely gives our critics permission to say the things that they really want to say.
0: Right. Well, now what you're in this very interesting position where you you've been a critic and now you're on the other side, you're on the, the creative side. Do you read any reviews of uh, Little Fires Everywhere? Or do you like or when you go on social media, if you ha- go on the hashtag, are you reading people's reactions? Absolutely.
1: Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like my favorite thing to do. And I will say this. I love a drag. I love for <laughs> somebody to be like, I would love for somebody to be like, they got this totally wrong. They fucked this up because that doesn't hurt my feelings. I mean, also it's not my show. So <laughs> 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 definitely doesn't hurt my feelings. Maybe I'll feel differently when I'm actually a showrunner, but as of right now, and I, and I think I really do believe I'll always be that way. I love good criticism. I love people um, tearing something apart or building it up. Um, Uh, Candace, you know, Candace, Candace wrote about, um, the surrogacy storyline, Candace Frederick, Mm -hmm. and she like did a completely different, like a story that technically was just explaining the history of surrogacy for me Mm is I loved that because I was like, I did not expect anybody to write about that. Um, with right. all of the other things going on in the show, and so I love things like that. Um, so yes, I love I love all the tweets. I love the tweets that are that are like I fucking hate everybody on this show. I'm gonna I'm gonna set the fire to Mia's house and Elena's house. Like I love it. <laughs> I'm like go oh, ahead. So you. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's Rogan. hilarious. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. I think that's great. Because, I mean, the thing is, like, I mean, let's be real. I mean, I think there are there are very, you know, there are actual film and TV critics who actually care about the art. Yeah, specifically about black film critics and TV critics, we do care about it. It's like you said, if for me, I actually care about it to actually give time to critique it, right. And, you know, But of course, it's like it's this fine line where I know where I'm reading a critique and where I'm just reading somebody who's just bashing something because they just hate the person or either the creative or the whatever. So there has to be this fine line where you have to be like, okay, I'm just going to stick to the facts and just tell you what it is I don't like about this movie. Right. Because that's a critique. Just saying you hate something. You're not really telling me anything. So, yeah. Yeah. So what can you tell us about the season finale? So season finale drops this Wednesday. Yeah, um, on Hulu. I'm I'm so sad this ride is over. I'm like I I was I wish there could be like 13 episodes or 14 episodes. It's so good, but uh, but what can we expect from from the season finale this Wednesday?
1: I think satisfaction, and what I mean is, a lot of people are saying there's no way they can wrap it up in in one more episode. We need another season, and and I know that feeling, but I do think that when the story ends. We answer a lot of questions. Um, you are definitely gonna have an answer to who set the fire, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I do think that the, the conclusion is, is satisfying and that um, it does a good job of giving you like a future to imagine for the characters, but also like wrapping up this that, this particular story that we've told. Um, I think, and I guess maybe I shouldn't say satisfied cause I'm sure there are going to be people who don't like certain things, certain, um, like just the way that it ends, but we do have to end it. Um, so I, I think people will feel strongly one way or the other. Um, definitely, definitely entertaining. And I think that the way that that episode seven ends, you know, that some shit is coming in the final episode. And so I'm really excited to watch with everybody. Um, and I, I'm literally like biting my tongue. Cause I like want to say more, but I'm going to stop, but yeah, I think it'll be good. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much,
0: Shannon. I'm so proud of you. Like, I was just like,
1: when I saw every time I see
0: the opening credits and I see your name on the screen, it's like, it really does feel like, oh shit, maybe I could do this. I I mean, I won't ever be as good as Shannon, but I was just like, I just feel like with this quarantine, like I've pulled up like a couple of scripts that I started and I was just like, well, now I have time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. to actually work on this because I was always like oh, I'm too busy work it sucks or whatever yeah it's like no it's like just seeing like a, my new thing is like seeing so many amazing black women writers on television like you and Attica Locke and um, I remember Stacey Alma she works on uh, she was one of the writers on Watchmen and just okay. seeing like so many black women TV writers and it's like yes we can do this like and we can mm-hmm. tell all sorts of stories we can write for because you're writing for black female characters and you're writing for the white characters as well, so I'm always like, yeah, we can write for everybody.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, for yeah, sure. Um, right. I'm I'm so glad, and I'm excited for everybody. And I think that's another thing I would say. Like when I when I think about this show, I'm like, I really want people to look at it and also be like, what's my version of this? Like if I were going to tell the story of my relationship, my complicated relationship with my mother what's the story that I would tell. That's how we get to that thing you were talking about earlier of like a diversity of, of black stories, of black, of stories about black mothers. We get those by, by us telling those stories and taking those risks and being like, I think to a, a balance of a, a healthy balance of, um, of not being afraid for a black character to not quite fit the mold, like the way Mia doesn't quite fit the mold in all the ways I know that there's a million other stories out there uh, that are like that. And so, yes, I please keep writing and, and, and watching like a, a big part of, a big part of what I do just comes from literally watching a lot of TV and a lot of movies um, and reading mm-hmm. and, and, you know, being inspired by those things and and feeling what you're feeling now, which is, you know what? Let me open up my shit because I got some shit too.
0: <laughs> I might have to send them to you so you can take a look at
1: it. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Alrighty.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you soon.